Hello and welcome to The Partial Historians. I am Dr. Greenfield. Good day. I am Dr. Rudness. <laughs> In the house. <laughs> welcome, welcome. Thank you, thank you. So, we have been looking at the history of Rome from the founding of the city. Indeed. An exciting time. I like it. It's been quite a roller coaster. Oh, so far. <laughs> and we're deep in the 490s BC. Oh, yeah. We're just steaming ahead. <laughs> it's only taken us most of the year to get through about 20 years worth of history. <laughs> a lot of things happen, yeah. as it turns out, when you're in ancient Rome. <laughs> That's true. So, last time we started looking at, um, well, we, we, we're still really talking about this clash between patrician and plebeian. Mm. Mm. And we're kind of going to be, our starring role for the next couple of episodes is going to be going to a man called Coriolanus. Yeah, Come what, on a, down. what a gentleman. Yeah. A patrician, a guy who's amazing on the battlefield. Ugh. Um, and but possibly, <laughs> possibly a douche in politics. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Uh, he does seem to have a rather uneven career, as we shall get to. <laughs> so, Dr. G, um, you always have far more detail than I do. <laughs> not Dionys- true, not because true. Because Dionysius is He's a waffler. Well, you know what? I, I actually like his waffle because, as you say, it does actually fill in the blank sometimes. I mean, hmm. I wouldn't know half the things I know about the founding of Rome if it weren't for you and your Dionysius. Oh, Dionysius. <laughs> um, he does have some interesting things to say. Yeah. And I want to backtrack a little bit on a couple of things that, for me, um, specializing in religion and stuff like that, I always find interesting. Please do, because I don't know much about the religious side of things. Yeah, yeah. So, in the previous episode yeah i talked about how the romans and the latins came to a peace agreement oh yes that's yeah, right yes. massive treaty the one that shall stand for as long as time is happening around us <laughs> yes for as long as heaven is where it is and the earth is where it is we shall be friends this was intense and there's oaths and the sacrificial victims and stuff like that. And yep. they also dedicate some temples. Right. So that's exciting. Mm. Or, or they actually finish some temples that had previously been dedicated. Um. And they're like, ta-da, stuff <laughs> is being done. Our friendship is now commemorated in stone. <laughs> forever and forever. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we have these important moments. Um, and it's useful at this point because Dionysius also tells us about um, the nature of the sacrifices and the games that are going to be performed oh. at the new expanded Latin festival, <laughs> which is now going for three whole days. The new and improved. <laughs> we are now so friends with the Latins. We need an extra day to celebrate how right. great we are. We want to hang out more and get yeah. to know you better. <laughs> it's going to be so cool. We should totally come. Um, so at this moment... Um, according to Dionysius, mm. we start to see the development of the magistracy that will eventually become the Aedileship. Right, okay, yeah. Which is traditionally connected with the plebeians. Yeah, because it's, it's kind of one of the lower offices, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's sort of like your entry rank position. Yeah, it becomes one of those stepping stone positions. Yeah, you know, <laughs> curse of Sonorum, got to do my time. Oh, you're an Ada, oh, I see. But maybe one day you'll be constant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you're basically in charge of like making sure festivals run properly and yes, games yes. happen and things are funded Which properly. I imagine they actually would have taken a lot of organizing. They would yeah. have taken a lot of organizing. Yeah. You've got to be a good party planner. Yeah. Um, probably good at PR. Yeah, the HR of the. Of <laughs> Oh, yeah, of antiquity. Well, you know, <laughs> you know, a bit, yeah. Yeah. You know, organizing people here, organizing people there. Yeah. Um, and also, like, pulling some sweet deals with bags of money to make sure that everybody's having a good time. True, very true. So, yeah, yeah. 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 
an interesting role, but it emerges, funnily enough, from the Tribune of the Plebs. Yes, do tell how this happens. Yeah. So it turns out that the Tribune of the Plebs, this mm. position that's created um, on the tri- on the plebeians' insistence that they have some representatives yeah. in government. No taxation without representation, mm-hmm. guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, know, like, you want to screw us over? You have to go through that guy. <laughs> his body is sacred. Yeah. So be careful. Um, Every time we say that word, I just think of the Monty Python song. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. And so the Tribune of the Plebs is like, I need some assistance here. Yeah. You know, with this role, you know, because anybody can approach the Tribune of the Plebs and request assistance in I some way. I imagine he's quite a busy dude. Yeah. yeah he's a, but he has to be physically present when these people are yeah, approaching. So exactly. He's walking around and like his day to day is totally interrupted by people. And they're like, Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. I've got a problem. Uh, and Can you please intercede? I need you to intercede, but I need you to intercede. Yeah. And he's essentially like, look, I really need a personal assistant. Yeah. Um, that would be great. Because I need somebody to filter all of the physical yeah, contacts that stage, I'm getting here. Yeah, most be like two tri- tribunes, right? Yeah. At most. Around about yeah. two tribunes. Yeah. For like most of the population. Yeah. Like Dionysius <laughs> reckons there's five, but that seems like a lot for this period in history. So yeah, yeah. let's say it's anywhere between two and five. Okay. Fair um, enough. and they're like, look, I'm being like mobbed every time I leave my house. I need somebody to help me out with this. Well, the popularity like, is great. Yeah, I love intercession, <laughs> but, um, you know, busy man. When do I drink? Um, <laughs> So they get these guys, these adults, who come from okay. the plebeian class yeah, yeah, yeah. to basically act yeah. as their physical secretary. Nice. And like, I will pass on your claim to the relevant <laughs> tribune. Please take a number. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We will get back to you in approximately five business days. Um, and that's how the adulship emerges. Right, okay. Um, according to Dionysius. Well, there you go. I learn something new every day. Fun ancient history facts it from is. the sun material. <laughs> Um, so we have that sort of moment. And what's really interesting from Dionysius's description of it as mm. well is he says that um, these Adiles are honoured by the Senate with a purple robe, Ooh, an ivory chair. That's fancy. And the other insignia that the kings had. That's really weird. I think it's super weird. Yeah. Do you have any theories as to why the... Secretaries are the new kings. <laughs> <laughs> I always knew that as bureaucrats would one day rule. <laughs> yes. The bureaucracy they has will, taken over. They will. They will smother us with their red tape. I think it's so that they stand out from the crowd, essentially. Well, I mean, I, suppose, I, I understand that it is obviously like a new magist- magistracy of sorts, but still, the kingly insignia. I know. Mm. I know. Purple robe, ivory chairs, everything's good. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay, yeah, well, this is fancy. Fun this times. Is, this is fancy well, indeed. you know, if the plebeians didn't feel like they were important before, surely they'll feel important now. Why wouldn't the tribunes have Because <laughs> the tribune is a pleb. He's got to look yeah. like the people. I Mostly. See. I see. So you think look, it's maybe like them trying to sort of bribe the Ada? Look, I don't know. Like, like look at the luxurious patrician lifestyle. <laughs> I feel like I want to look further into this <laughs> yeah, because me I, too. I feel yeah. like this is I have suspicious. Many yeah. uh, yes, too yeah. many questions. Yes, okay. but interesting factual details. Definitely, thank you. Perhaps. Yes. Thank you for that. Perhaps. Yes, you know, maybe they just saw the stuff in like their storage and they're like, "We should really get this stuff out. Like, what's the point of having it if we don't use it?" <laughs> like, this is a real shame. Exactly. You know what they say: if you haven't worn it in a year, get rid of it. Hmm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You know. That happens with all the magistracies, doesn't it? Fiona's fashion fits, yeah. <laughs> Blowing out, throwing away the consular toga because <laughs> not doing it anymore, guys. Uh, another interesting uh, religious aspect of this sort of thing is when we have the conclusion yeah. of the peace between the plebeians and the patricians after the first uh, secession. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, we have uh, this all consecrated religiously as well um, through the Roman Fetiales. Ah, now the Fetiales, I believe we've talked about briefly before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Please refresh my memory. Oh, no. What do you <laughs> recall? Aren't they the guys? Aren't they the guys we were talking about who do the war declarations? Yeah, uh, and they have to do the whole Jupiter's my witness. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. They always act in pairs. You fail to post things when I ask you to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There is about twenty of them. Right. Yeah. Um, they are lifetime members. They come from the noble family, so surprise, surprise, they're patricians. Ooh, um, and uh, they uphold this use feriale, the sacred aspect of judicial relations between the peoples. Yeah. So when this peace between the plebeians and the patricians comes about, they need to be there to do some things. Right. Um, So that, I think, is really... So they have PC-type stuff as well as war stuff. Yeah, PC-type stuff, war-y type stuff. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Super technical terms, guys. I hope you're getting these down. (laughs) Note it down. For posterity, it's going to be important. I'm so glad I have a PhD. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you know, you've got to be able to relay your expert information <laughs> to any audience. That's part of the deal. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the Fediales are involved with this. And so this is ratified religiously, not yep. just politically. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to emphasize that because this is a huge moment for the Romans. And yeah. as we saw from uh, the previous episode, this peace between the plebeians and the patricians doesn't last long. Yeah, so is this the first time we've specifically heard about these guys doing this kind of thing? Well, this is the first time we've had a struggle of the orders. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but I mean, like, with peacekeeping. Is that, is that <laughs> what it's to do with, I mean, like, like the... Or, or, or commemorating the peace. I don't know how you want to put yeah, it. Like yeah, like their their functions relate to both peace and war. Right. So yeah. like it's like recognizing and that it's over. sanctifying states okay. of change. Okay. Okay. I get yeah. it. I get it. I get it. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So if you're going from a warlike state to a peace-like state, yes, um, right. the Fediales should be there mm-hmm. doing some special things. Yeah. And likewise, the change from peace to war. Okay. Cool. Hmm. Well, um, in terms of what I've uh, got up my sleeve, because this is kind of a bit of a this is a bit of a piecemeal episode, isn't it? We've got a lot of strings to tie together. I feel um, I have a little bit of uh, more of Coriolanus's stuff mm-hmm. to talk about. I thought this might be a good time to sort of bring it up. Uh, we we did give you a little bit of a background to what Coriolanus was all about in terms of the military stuff he's been getting up to last episode. But I did sort of want to talk a little bit about the nature of the source material that we're dealing with with Coriolanus because it is something that we haven't had a lot to do with up to this point, as in Plutarch and his biographies. Okay, so we're not only going to have Livy and Dionysius now, we're going to also have Plutarch. Um, And for those of you who have listened to previous episodes, this might be old news to you, but I'm just going to have to go through it anyway because there might be new listeners, so just deal. Plutarch, as we mentioned, was writing a long time after events, like even longer than Livy and Dionysius by a couple hundred of years. But his point was not so much to write histories as biographies, and this obviously does somewhat alter, I think, the kinds of things that he's going to include in his stories and the kind of information um, that he finds interesting and relevant for his stories. So we actually do have a little bit about Coriolanus's childhood and things like that, which we wouldn't normally have. Um, oh, cute. I know. Um, and the other thing is, and again, I think we mentioned this last time, is that Plutarch did not write just like a series of biographies. He wrote what we, know, what we now call the parallel lives in that there was sort of like a pairing always between a Greek 
a notable Greek figure and a notable Roman figure. How to make the Romans appeal to a Greek audience. Exactly, yeah. And Turn them up with some Greeks. Yeah, and this is, this is something that's been going on for a little while in that there is um, a Greek historian who I have no doubt we will come to one day called Polybius, who was essentially trying to sort of reconcile, I suppose, Greeks and Romans, you know, at that point in time where their histories are really colliding full scale for the <laughs> first time because Romans are kind of taking over the world. Um, and Plutarch is kind of doing a similar thing, I think, making the you know, meshing the cultures together, making sure everyone gets along and understands each other, you know, all that kind of stuff. But he, most importantly, I think, he generally does obviously pick a pairing that are going to, like, suit each other. You know, it's not just, like, a random pairing. Like, you'll do. (laughs) You're tall and handsome, and you're tall and handsome. Bingo! Enough. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Um, So I suppose I thought it was important to note who Coriolanus is paired with. And can you please say the name? Because I've already forgotten how to say it. Say it again. I can, I can never <laughs> say it. Alcibiades. Alcibiades. I can never say it. I don't know what's wrong with me. Okay, yeah. So he is poor, um, paired with Alcibiades. Alcibiades. Why can't I say this name? <laughs> <laughs> who's, um, a Just notable, rolls off the tongue. Uh, he's a notable Greek figure uh, during the Peloponnesian War, mm-hmm. which is the war between Athens and Sparta um, in the late 400s BC. And... What Plutarch tends to do is he'll tell their stories and they're sort of meant to be... Well, not meant to be, but... You're looking you can, for com- points of comparison. You're looking for points of comparison. And then at the end, he'd have a comparison, sort of summing up what they're all about. Well, um, and he's providing a morality yes, aspect to this yeah. and making comments on the way that people have lived their lives and what it might say about our understanding of humankind as yeah, a whole. Yeah, definitely. And I, and I think definitely, particularly for, um, for this... I mean, sometimes you do sort of look at the, the comparisons and go... Yeah, yeah, drawing a long blow. Exactly. You know, yeah. Come on. You're running out of people there, Plutarch. But for this one, I actually think he's picked a pretty good parallel for Coriolanus. And this is a little bit of a spoiler, guys, so I apologize. Um, but essentially, he's picked two men to deal with who are very. Um, okay, first of all, interesting, just random note of comparison, I suppose. They do grow, both grow up without their fathers, they both lose their fathers at a young oh, age. Oh, yes. And Plutarch makes mention of the way in which um, Coriolanus's life in particular yes. is not coloured by the loss of a father. And this should serve as a warning mm. to all men who later in their lives blame their misfortunes upon not having a dad. <laughs> exactly. He still grows up to be just fine. Thank you very much. Although you might question whether he's just fine. To uh, I agree. <laughs> any of the things that you hear about his life. <laughs> he certainly does have, I suppose, traditional manly values, as in with the military stuff, but just not maybe all the virtues that you might know someone has. And that's just it. Um, Alcibiades, uh, did I say it? I did, I think. You did? He's the same. Um, in that they both have... They're both, I think, um, singled out for being men of outstanding qualities and being, you know, sort of very intelligent, talented generals, good soldiers, all that kind of stuff, but still at the same time with these really deep flaws. Um, and, and that are going to be more or less their undoing... Sorry, that's the spoiler. I always say that after this, I say the spoiler thing. <laughs> no, no, you, yeah. you prefaced the spoiler yeah. earlier. It's, yeah, it's um, yeah, and that's that's the whole thing that that these are two men who are going to be very talented but very flawed, and who are traitors. Ooh, yeah, um, and that's I think going to be like the main. The, and that's why they are well suited for each other. I think they're a match made in heaven. Oh. <laughs> oh. 
dear. Well, one of the curious details from Plutarch's yes. uh, early part of the life of Coriolanus yes. is does focus on this question of valor, this idea of manly, it does, manly it? Yeah. virtue. Manly um, virtues. Which for, which, for the Latin, yeah. Yeah, which yeah. for the Latins would be weirdus, yeah. um, but it's not rendered quite the same way in the Greek. And this claim that the things that Coriolanus does in his life, um, the fact the loss of the father propels him um, to heights of manly virtue, which he feels he needs to provide um, as demonstration to his mother. Yeah. Um, they do seem to be very close. Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> of his capacity to be manly, even given the situation. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. I mean, they, they do talk about the fact that his father was apparently awesome. <laughs> But that lose, you know, losing him at a young age. Oh my God, what could happen? He could grow up to be a girl. <laughs> but, well, but that doesn't happen. <laughs> no, and as we've seen from Coriolanus, even from the little bit that we've seen of him so far, yeah, I mean, he's raging in battle. Um, a capacity for perhaps blind courage. Yeah, I mean, uh, he says that even <laughs> even from a boy, when he starts, you know, like, from a very young age, playing with weapons and that sort of thing, <laughs> as all children do. Um, <laughs> and he says that, yeah, he, he basically grows up to have this um, this idea that he has, you know, this strength of body, which is inflexible and shrinks from no hardship. <laughs> <laughs> Where uh, men, manly men, women. <laughs> I'm just not inviting him to my dinner party. No. You know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, definitely all of that. Um, and I, but I think that this is, the, this is the, um, the fatal flaw, I suppose, of his character that we should perhaps maybe signal out now. He has all these manly qualities on the battlefield, but his tendency is to be super, super arrogant. Mm. Yeah. Um, perhaps a little bit too self-reliant, I don't know, on his own good opinion or something. <laughs> <laughs> he certainly got very strong opinions about things. Yes. Uh, whether he perceives it as a weakness to change his mind is anybody's guess, but he certainly doesn't. <laughs> No, I mean, and this is the thing, like, and this is the, I suppose the reason why his arrogance is a big deal is because after all the stuff that we've talked about last time where he has these victories, he gets his special name, Coriolanus, for the capture of the town, he's had the, you know, the crown awarded to him, you would think this is exactly the kind of guy that the Romans would adore. And yes, certain Romans do. Oh, and definitely. Yeah. And we see yeah. this after the Battle of Corioli. Yeah. I mean, his refusal to accept um, certain offerings from the consuls in terms of reward yeah um really ups the reputation of him as far as most of the soldiers are concerned because this is a guy who cares more about the actual fighting and the virtue associated with the fight itself and isn't doing it for the spoils um he's doing it for the right reasons yeah yeah for the glory. <laughs> mm. yeah uh, and that's just it um and so Basically, after all this has happened and, you know, there's obviously still a bit of tension in the city, but it's at this point that he decides to go for the consulship, apparently, according to Plutarch's version of things. Um, Well, he is famous now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Why not? Why not bank on that? uh, (laughs) Ride that pony all the way to the (laughs) consulship. Yeah, yeah. You see this war horse? Yeah. (laughs) After all that stuff that we talked about last time about, you know, the the colony where they sent out, forced to go out or whatever. Um, After that has happened... um, he basically is trying to stand for the consulship and the people 
feel kind of like, well, maybe we shouldn't be too harsh on this guy. Like, he seems a little bit stuck up and we're a little bit concerned about his values. Like, he seems very, very patrician. Yeah, like, but, he, he's yeah. very... And he's also, like, a really big advocate for not giving any concessions to the plebeians. Oh, yeah. And this yeah, is yeah. something that we'll get into more detail about later as yeah, well. Yeah, definitely. Um, but that really traditional patrician stance that he takes... He's kind of like an Appius Claudius in another skin. Um, yeah, he, he is. Maybe he reminds even, me very much of him. Yeah. yeah, maybe even further. Like the severity of his position, like just don't give the plebeians any um, concessions on this. It's like they need to know their place. Um, it's not necessarily going to bode too well um, in a consulship where the city is on the brink of riot. Yeah, well, that's just it. And so, like, at first they're kind of like, well, he didn't take that booty. He's kind of a good guy. Like, you know, <laughs> I can kind of see a good side to him. I don't know. If I'm more, I don't want to make him angry. Yeah. He's clearly <laughs> good at killing people. Yeah, exactly. But... And he's, and he's um, you know, he's not afraid to sort of, you know, show off his battle scars. And we, mm. we've, we have, we've had instances of this before where people, you know, sort of go, Look strip this, off. Check this out. <laughs> I'm a true Roman. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, he obviously draws attention to, like, the military stuff he's done for the city and that that sort of thing. But he then makes this really over-the-top entrance into the forum, apparently, when it's when the election day actually comes around. Um, and the Senate and the patricians are all obviously like, oh, my God, you know, fangirling over him and that sort of thing. <laughs> and the it make, again, it just turns the pleb's stomach a little bit. Mm. And they're just like, oh, seriously? Like man? this like, guy? Yeah. Like we just, you know, the famine and all that. <laughs> really? <laughs> um, and so he ends up losing (laughs) and that really ticks him off and so it's all this kind of all these kinds of issues are going to come up again and again in his life I think this constant you know well this is really good but then you kind of ruined it with your attitude (laughs) anyway and so but Plutarch obviously being a biographer he's really going to be focusing on these issues of character Mm. Uh, and that's something I sort of wanted to flag whereas obviously Livy and Dionysius maybe not so much they're perhaps more concerned with the events yeah, yeah, like they'll definitely offer character reading sure. at certain times, but yeah, it's not yeah. their focus. No. And, and yeah, because yeah. Livy just goes straight into like Coriolanus and the clash between him yeah. and, and the plebs and Pax. And in so my this idea. gives us some interesting insights, and it's going to be why somebody like Coriolanus, yeah. who might might not be that different from a whole bunch of Roman patricians that True. we've come across already. Yeah now stands out as like this sort of figure that we have to think about and it's precisely because we've got more evidence yeah and that's just it I mean even though he might I mean this is the thing you know I said before like is he even real I mean there probably obviously was a guy or there were events like this happening it might not have happened quite in the way it turned out maybe this again maybe it's like the kings maybe this is rolling the achievements and events concerned with a few people into one account or whatever but the fact is I think it represents how people were feeling how people were acting if not maybe just this one guy <laughs> versus the world. <laughs> Everybody stands in my way. Yeah. Until and, they do. Damn it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of all I wanted to sort of flag for this particular episode and I sort of lead up into full-blown Coriolanus. Mm, which well. sounds rude. <laughs> Look, you know, we have to go there. We'll yeah. do full Coriolanus <laughs> and that will be fine. <laughs> well, I look forward to chatting to you next time, Dr. G. Mm, likewise. Mm. <laughs> 